Welcome to The Christian Atheist, where faith and reason fuse in the Incarnation. Episode 6, The Machinery of the Looking Glass, Part 5, Lessons from Jordan Peterson. My journey to the Looking Glass in July of 2019 was a long road, a quarter century in the making. As an intellectual, a professor of philosophy, my odyssey was in the mind of the imagination, where we intellectuals live. We choose the world we want to live in, one of the dizzying freedoms and luxuries that our rational nature provides. We are as free to choose the road to perdition as that of salvation. I chose atheism because I no longer believed in God's existence. But in doing so, I committed myself to the search for truth, no matter the cost. This was my Tao. It was only later that I came to understand that walking away from God in search of truth, I was not walking away at all, but taking the most direct route available to him. God, C.S. Lewis said in Mere Christianity, works on us in all sorts of ways, not only through what we think our religious life. He works through nature, through our own bodies, through books, sometimes through experiences which seem, at the time, anti-Christian. When a young man who has been going to church in a routine way honestly realizes that he does not believe in Christianity and stops going, provided he does it for honesty's sake and not just to annoy his parents, the Spirit of Christ is probably nearer to him then than it ever was before. Truth is not found only in the mind, but in the process of life itself. In point of time, my final influence is the Canadian psychologist, Jordan Peterson. God, I say in retrospect, knew exactly what I needed and when I needed it. Peterson came on the scene at precisely the right time for me to see some of my own foolishness, to remind me of things I knew, and to find the courage to take the steps he would direct. I lost my wife to a long-term nursing facility in 2015. Her ongoing care and well-being was my constant, anxious concern. My job was ending, and all my efforts to find a full-time teaching position had fallen through. I had nearly broken down under the stress. Learning to breathe again was perhaps my practical salvation. It was not Jordan Peterson who led me back to Christ, and I do not know if he is a believer. But God used him to help me see and understand what I needed to in order to step back through the looking glass. To him, also, I owe the name Christian Atheist, as I first heard him use it in one of his YouTube videos. I don't think he coined it, but I thought it particularly apropos to my situation when I began this project. I began studying philosophy as an undergraduate in an attempt to understand how our world had gone so badly wrong. I find it fascinating that Peterson did the same thing with psychology at roughly the same time. He is four years older than me. My path led me, interestingly enough, by a different road 
to many of the same conclusions that he presents. Intellectually, Peterson and I are mirror images, as I've taught nearly identical content from a philosophical perspective for most of my academic career. He also seems to have adopted truth as his central value, with an emphasis on individual responsibility. I have learned a great deal from Jordan Peterson in terms of practical psychology, but most of his conclusions on culture, academia, and our world I came to by myself in the course of my own investigations. Whereas earlier episodes of The Machinery of the Looking Glass focused on my intellectual preparation for my theistic return, Jordan Peterson is primarily a practical influence. He reminded me of many things I already thought or knew, but had allowed to settle quietly into my inner sanctum. The Academy, I knew, would frown. For instance, I knew the Bible is one of the richest texts in the Western canon, boundless in insight and wisdom, but such knowledge and studies would get you nowhere in the Academy of today. I respected the Bible, but I no longer studied it, since I no longer believed. Peterson reminded me of its inexhaustible insight into the human condition, and from a perspective of neutral psychological analysis, which I could accept as an atheist. In many instances, his psychological explanations intrigued me back into a text that years of preaching and theological study had bored me away from, not to mention the fetishism with which many in the Christian community hold the Bible, the overly facile explanations of issues and problems, the need to have everything resolved without residue, without tension. He brought me back to an open fascination with faith, knowledge, and truth that had languished. In other words, Peterson jolted me out of complacence. How? By hitting me between the eyes with my own responsibility in light of truth. If what I believe is true, what should I do? How should I act? As I learned from Socrates, it is action that speaks most clearly of what we believe, and action which changes and improves things. Things don't get better on their own. For years, my life had been lived in my thoughts, not in my actions. The cognitive dissonance was becoming unmanageable. He also forced me to face my contributions to my life troubles. Inspired by his YouTube lectures, I bought his 12 Rules for Life, an antidote to chaos. While his online presence stimulated my intellectual resilience and confidence in my own conclusions on the troubles into which our society has so precipitously fallen, his practical advice invigorated my living, changed me for the better. Stand up straight with your shoulders back encouraged me to stand physically and metaphorically, for myself and what I believed, to face my difficulties and voluntarily shoulder them, to run towards and not from a fight. I began a physical exercise regimen that has transformed my physical well-being. To be fair, my wife's influence far outshines Peterson's on this point. As for maybe the first time in my life, I began to treat myself like someone I am responsible for helping. 
I learned to value incremental change in myself and my circumstances, and to stop comparing myself to others, but only to myself yesterday. I acknowledged and took responsibility for my failures and inadequacies as husband and father, which were many. Slowly, my shell began to peel back, and I began again to live. I know that for some of you, the mere mention of Jordan Peterson in a positive way means that I have nothing further of value to say to you. Such is the state of our ideological divide that stepping outside your particular box is unspeakable heresy. Oddly enough, it was Peterson, along with another contemporary hero of mine, Jonathan Haidt, that did more than anyone else to break down my own ideological walls, teaching me that ideologies are, as Peterson says, parasites on an underlying religious substructure. Partial, unsubtle answers resistant to the ambiguity and tension of real life, crippled religions, and one-size-fits-all answers to every question. I said in the first edition of The Christian Atheist that I gave up ideology along with atheism. For myself, I had become unhappy with the labels usually used to identify the poles of the ideological divide. Liberal versus conservative fails on its face, as semantic drift now has conservatism taking the role of 19th century classical liberalism, and the left defending the status quo of our cultural and academic institutions, which they have transformed into a rigid and exclusive orthodoxy, complete with its own shibboleths, a conservatism in its own right, and in the recent decade, nearly fascistic. The irony of Antifa is astounding in its zeal. I prefer the terms conservative versus radical, taking a long view of each term's meaning. These are the terms I adopted in my Intro to Philosophy course. I think they best represent the opposing tendencies that we human beings bring to existence. Conservatism, a holding on to what is and has been. Safety, security, stability, and respect for tradition. In opposition to radicalism, an enthusiastic openness to and embrace of all that is new combined with a willingness to undermine and discard traditional views and practices. Radicalism detests limitation and boundaries. Conservatism embraces them. Most of us tend toward one or the other by nature. For a functioning society, one connected with life as it is lived and experienced, we need both tendencies, interacting and balancing each other. While our world constantly changes, it also stays the same. Competing ideologies in balance can be beneficial. But when one side or the other becomes predominant, the resulting orthodoxy can be devastating. Witness the 20th century. It is, Peterson points out, quite clear when the right wing goes too far, but much harder to define when the left wing does so. When I first heard this question, I found it silly. Now, I think it is possibly the central question of our age. Peterson reminded me that the infinite richness and complexity of narrative 
indexes truth more clearly than any rationalized explanatory scheme. Truth is life, not an abstract set of axioms. It is stable and dynamic, human and divine. Our intellect is useful, not infallible, and is only one of the tools with which to make sense of and live in this veil of tears. This is one area in which Peterson jarred my understanding away from philosophy towards a more psychological stance. Truth, I think, is far more complex, subtle, and profoundly connected with human life and existence, and too massive, profound, and transcendent, indeed magical, than I was willing to consider as a philosopher. This was Socrates' lesson, too. We create our lives in our actions, our choices, as we write stories with our pens. We are, in our very essence, storytelling animals. As I learned from Sartre's existentialism, whether we like it or not, we are anchored in our time, our place, and our culture, with the specific limitation of our DNA and a myriad of other specificities that define our situation. And from these constraints, we construct ourselves, tell our story. As individual beings, we are limited, but we are also all connected, all the same, and yet different, complementary. Like our ideologies, we need one another to avoid the errors of our individual limitations and inadequate sight. Our mythologies tell our shared story. This is why there is such truth to be found in the great literatures and the arts of our world. It is in our stories, even today, that truth is most richly presented. Tolkien and Lewis thought of the biblical narrative as true myth, and that understanding appeals to me immensely. The vital importance of narrative and of language is one of the great legacies of the philosophy of Hegel, with whom I have a very complex ambivalent relationship. Peterson reminded me that everything we do matters. There are no exceptions, no passes, no excuses. This is Sartrean too. We are responsible for our world. Within our specific situations, we have tasks that need our doing. And taking up our cross to do them is hard. It involves suffering, and suffering in this fallen world is universal. We can seek to avoid it, or we can embrace it. Purposeful, intentional, voluntary suffering brings meaning to our lives. Being responsible involves sacrifice at all levels. Quote, It is not an accident that the axiomatic Western individual is someone who was unfairly nailed to a cross and tortured. End quote. When we take up our cross, we can begin to improve the tragedy that is our being, and that of our world. And the two, individual suffering and universal suffering, are tied together. The Via Dolorosa is the hero's story, the voluntary adoption of suffering to redeem the suffering world. As always, the big picture is mirrored in the smaller. That is, there is inherent in our world a way to act, to live, a path we all should walk. 
C.S. Lewis, in The Abolition of Man, called it the Tao. And it is the universal ethical path that God built into our universe. I believe that path takes us inevitably to Christ. And it is my mission to point this way in every manner I can. Our lives can contribute to the malevolence that rules our world. Or, through preparation, training, and action, we can learn to carry successively greater loads in His service. We must necessarily start small, taking the motes out of our own eyes before attempting the beams in others. As Peterson says, Clean up your room! The servant who is faithful in small things is entrusted with greater responsibility. This is Peterson's core message, and it resonates with me deeply, calling me back to a recognition of a path I'd abandoned many years before, but which remained anchored in my core, responsibility and truth. On faith in God, Peterson reminded me of the as-if of Kant that I studied almost 24 years before in grad school. When asked if he believed in God, he replied that he lives as if God exists. Not exactly satisfying, but it raises the question, what is faith in God? Due to my own circumstance and Peterson's influence, I was again asking myself this question as an atheist. And it compelled the opposite question. Was I living as if God did not exist? What would a consistent atheism look like? Could I respect such a life? Peterson's treatment of faith raised ambiguities for me, challenged me to open these questions again. Was I living what I believed? Was I even understanding what it means to believe? Or was I, priding myself on the pursuit of truth, deceiving myself? Faith again became a living and open question for me. My final point is woven through the very fabric of the Christian atheist from first to last. Because life is best understood as narrative and not as explanation, Peterson reminded me that ambiguity need not be overcome in order to live, and that its presence indicates a richness to be explored, not a deficiency to be remedied. Paradox is vital, fascinating, compelling, and as a lover of poetry, ambiguity is life and soul. The aesthetic is not of secondary importance, but is, perhaps, as vital an index of truth as intellect. Hegel, properly understood, has much to teach us here, even though I consider him the author of the socio-political devastations of the 20th and 21st centuries. Jordan Peterson was the required influence in my life at the appointed time. Experience and circumstance had beat me down. I had become a shell whose life had gone inside. God called me out to revivify me, armor me against the coming dragons, to again take the field that I had seated the foe, and to arm myself for the conflict and restore my confidence and to find my strength and resolve. To be, that is, a man, with all that means. Thank God for Jordan Peterson.
I do. The machinery in place. One desideratum remained to my step back through the looking glass. A motivation, an inspiration, an incarnation, an image of God in human form. I am a Christian with the searching and skeptical mind of an atheist. I don't want to believe anything that isn't true. I know both sides of the looking glass, and I know them with open eyes. I choose Christ's side. I invite you to join me from wherever you stand before the looking glass. That's this week's episode. Thanks for listening, and remember, you can have your religious cake and eat it too. You can have reason, respect for science, a 21st century worldview, and be Christian.